we're looking at objections that people have to or with Christianity. And tonight we're going to look at one that I'm calling Christianity is too confining. Now, keep in mind that this defeater belief, this objection, certainly comes from those who are on the outside of Christianity looking in. Perhaps you right now might be one of those people. You see Christianity as a person who is asking questions about what you believe and so on, and you say something along these lines. You know, Christianity claims to have absolute truth. That is problematic for me on so many levels. It seems to war against real community and the liberation of the individual. For true freedom, everyone ought to be able to determine truth for themselves. But this objection also comes from people who wear or possess the veneer of the label of Christianity. Because ultimately, I think it's these folks as well who uh, sort of have a, a thin layer of things, but there really is no uh, change, as it were, in their life. They have problems when Jesus or anybody from the Bible offers up uh, commands. And so it's very hard to live these out. Thus, we get this voice, Christianity is too confining. Does that make sense? And so I don't want anything to do with it. Okay, so it comes, quote, from both sides. And I think it has to do, basically, with this question. How does the person who has been saved by God's free grace, how does that person actually now live out their lives? There's the question. How is that supposed to happen? And uh, before we actually kind of jump into this, I want to pray. So will you pray with me? Lord, thank You for Your mercies. Thank You for this Word that comes to us that You have spoken through Jesus many, many years ago that it is an enduring Word. You have said that heaven and earth will pass away, but Your Word will remain forever. And so here we are, Lord, with a Word that still remains. And we ask that You, by Your Spirit, would open our hearts and our minds that we might hear You. Lord, we're in need tonight, no matter where we are. Some of us are just fatigued and worn out. Some of us, Lord, are excited. Some of us are frail. Our body's weak. And so we come to You as needy men, needy women, longing to hear from You with our questions, with our doubts, even with our beliefs, Lord. We need You. And so we ask this all in Your name. Amen. Well, as He entered the room, she approached Him. As she had done with other men several times before. She motioned to Him with her body for the sexual encounter to begin. My friend had just paid for her and was led back to the room in the brothel only a few minutes later. A few years ago, a friend of mine told me one of the most amazing stories of his entire life. It's this friend, and this is his story. He tells of a story where he got to participate in an international justice mission, rescue mission, where he got to go retrieve a young lady that was enslaved in sexual slavery. She had been sold, and she had been now used for sexual exploits. People would come and pay for her, to ha- and she would be basically forced prostitution. 
My friend tells me of his experience. He says he wanted to throw up because he was so scared. He knew his life was on the line. And because here he was, sitting in front of this teenage girl, thinking about the oppression that she had endured, how she didn't get to see her parents, and how she was basically forced day in and day out to have sex with people that she did not know or care to do uh, have sex with. Absolute and utter depression. He motioned to her, unable to speak with her, langu- with, with, with her language, that he didn't want any sexual favors. He motioned for her to remain quiet, and he kept waiting on the call that everything was okay for him to extract her. The call came. He wrapped his arms around her. She began to scream. And he ran down the hall as fast as he could into the getaway car, and they drove off. She was free at last. Now she would have a host of issues that she would have to work through for the rest of her life. But this young lady, younger than everybody in this room, was now liberated. She was now free. Crazy story, if you ask me. Unbelievable. I could not imagine it. And here's what I want you to know. In this text, Jesus is saying that apart from Him, that you and me are infinitely more enslaved than that girl in that brothel ever was. And the freedom that He brings is far more liberating than what she could ever experience. Now those sound like grandiose statements, almost like a preacher's hyperbole. But I'm here to tell you it's not me saying it. It's actually Jesus saying it. That's the crazy thing. What is Jesus going to end up saying in this text? He's going to say that our hearts have a default setting, as it were. And that that setting is actually one of enslavement. And it isn't an economic bondage. It isn't a social bondage. Listen to what one theologian, how he puts it. For Jesus then, the ultimate bondage is not, of ens- is not an enslavement to a political or economic system, but vicious slavery to moral failure. In other words, to rebellion against the God who made us. Here's the good news. For every Christian tonight, Jesus has set you free. This is true because of Christ, that you are no longer a slave to sin. This is what we spoke about last week. If you were not here last week, whenever I get these dadgum podcasts up, I want you to go listen to last week. Because this week is sort of part two from last week. And we said that Christianity is not a religion that is based on salvation by works. It is by grace. But, and here we go, I want you to hear this, that this rescue will always, always change you. In other words, God's rescuing grace is never separated from His changing grace. Does that make sense? They must and they always go together. And so this does raise the question, then where is the appropriate place, Ryan, 
for our works? What are we supposed to do and where do they come into the Christian life? In fact, Jesus Himself says in John 14.23, listen, if anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word. Whoever does not love Me does not keep My words. So how are we to have to think about how we ought to live? In verse 31, Jesus says the word abide. And that word means to remain, to stay put, to hold on to something. And when it's talking about a teaching like it is in this text, it is talking about believing it, obeying it, setting, sitting yourself underneath it as it were, letting it have a voice and an authority in your life. That's what it means to abide, to remain in the teaching. I'm just pulling that out of verse 31. And so he is going to say two particular things tonight about following and freedom. Listen to first what he's going to say. That there is following in the freedom. And then secondly, that there is freedom in the following. I think this is going to help us get at the root of this defeater. Christianity is too confining. And let's jump right in. In verse 31, there is following in the freedom. You see it there in verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In this text, Jesus is addressing some of the Jews who had, quote, made a decision for Jesus. But the context is going to tell us that these folks were folks who had, in some instance, made a verbal or external commitment to Jesus, but not from the heart. In verse 38, Jesus, when He says, you do what you have heard from your Father, the Father that He is referring to, if you keep reading in chapter 8, do you know who it is? It's not Abraham. It's the devil. So let's hold that intention. There are folks there who He is saying who have believed in Jesus but you listen to what your father has said, and he's talking about the Satan. Jesus is saying, though, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. In other words, if you are truly my disciple, you will remain in and obey my words. Hear me very clearly. This means that a mark or a sign of true discipleship will always, always be obeying what Jesus has said and what He has commanded. So here is what I mean when I talk about this. You can go ahead and go to the next slide, Bora. When I say that there is following in freedom. You have been set free, Jesus says. But because you have set free... You've been set free. You are now free to follow Me. To follow Me. So there is real freedom there. Paul himself has said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He's saying that sin is not your master anymore. You owe it nothing. And it has no authority over you anymore. That this work of salvation is all God's grace. It is all free. It is none of yours. But, Jesus says, when this really happens, the mark of you being set free is that you will actually follow Him. 
It isn't God doing His part and then now you go do yours. Here's what it is. It's that your heart has actually been changed such that you are free. You are enabled. He has set you free like a bird has been set free now to fly. That is what Jesus has done for your heart that you are actually able to follow Him. Think about it like this. One of the first memories that um, I actually have of my wife before we even started dating is that she went to this apple uh, orchard and she picked me some of my favorite apples, the Fuji. Do you like Fuji apples? They're like the perfect thing. They're the perfect sweetness, the perfect tartness. They're not too mealy. I love them. They're my favorite apple. And I want you to think about something as you're standing there in that orchard with her that day. Now that apple tree, it is producing fruit. If it is healthy, in due course, in due season, you will begin to see apples on the actual tree. If it's not a healthy tree, guess what? It doesn't produce any fruit. In other words, you are able to sort of adjudicate, to assess the health of the tree by its ability to what? Produce fruit. Now, In Luke's Gospel, Jesus is actually going to say that the Christian is like that tree. In other words, if you are planted in good soil, that is the Gospel, you will necessarily produce fruit. Think about it. We said last week that it's not your works that establish your relationship with Jesus. That is the Gospel. That is God's free grace that does that. You would never expect to dig up underneath the dirt and to find apples underneath the dirt. You would find roots there. Likewise, you wouldn't find at the top of the tree roots. It doesn't make sense. Jesus wants you to know that if you really are following Him, you will bear forth and bring out fruit. Any person who has been really and truly saved by the grace of Jesus will necessarily follow Him in what He says. I'm not talking about you following Him to get you to love Him. I'm saying He's already loved you and now you follow Him. That person will abide in Jesus. Period. And if they're here it is. is very, I just speak very tenderly. And if there is not abiding, if there is not remaining, if there is not obeying, it is cause for you to consider the rootedness of your tree. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are not saved, though it might. But it does mean that you are actually living out of accord with the new freedom that you have in Jesus. Does that make sense? That was a lot. That was like an earful. Let's make it practical. Let's talk about this individually. First of all, to people like me in the room tonight, some of you at this point are feeling really, really good about yourselves right now. You've heard me say these things and you're going, yeah, Ryan, tell them. Tell them. Tell them to get serious about the Christian life. That's what they need to do. And I must say to you, dear sister or brother, be careful. 
The devil is near you right now. He is seeking to destroy you with spiritual pride in that moment. We mustn't ever look down on the faltering with arrogance and with hubris. Why? Because we too struggle. We struggle in the same way. We all have our own struggles. And this necessarily would call forth compassion in us. Don't you remember what Paul has said in Romans chapter 2, verse 2? That it's God's kindness that brings you to repentance? Think about that. It's God's mercies that break our hard hearts. It does not say it is the angry Christian that leads to repentance. It does not say it is the self-righteous jerk that leads to people's repentance. It's the soft, tender mercies of Jesus that does that. It's far better then to come alongside the struggling brother or sister and remind them of those mercies. That's what brings forth change in people's lives. Is your heart like that? I know mine can be. But secondly, I say this to the folks who take the label Christian, and I say it very gently. You really have been set free from sin. You do not have to do it. God really has taken up residence in your heart and in your life. And you are now enabled to really follow Him. I do caution you though, if you refuse to follow Him, this will lead to torment in your being. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you continue to not follow and not obey Him, you will continue to become more and more enslaved and hardened by sin. Won't you see that there is real grace for you at every turn? You really have been set free. Therefore, you really can choose to not get wasted this weekend. You really can choose to not obsess about the job that you so want one year from now and about the money that it brings because God so loves you. You've been set free. Therefore, you do not have to continue to sleep with that guy or with that girl. You really have been set free. So may I plead with you so tenderly, remember your freedom and allow then your own heart to follow after Jesus. There is following in the freedom. But there's also something else. What is it? There is also freedom in the following. Let's look again right there in verse 31. Jesus is going to say, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. Verse 32. And you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. So Jesus is now saying that as you follow Him, there is real liberation. Real freedom. You see, when we think of freedom, I bet you think of this. When you think of freedom, you think of this concept of freedom. That freedom means everybody needs to decide for themselves what they ought to do. That's what true freedom is. 
It's the, it's the absolute absence of any restraint. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't want to curfew as a teenager. There's freedom there. Okay? I don't want to have to work when I'm in college because I want to do whatever. That's real freedom there. Okay, that holds up a little, but it does, it's not the best assessment of what freedom is. And I want to tell you that this is actually one of the main problems that people have with Christianity. But look what Jesus says in verse 34. Do you see it there? Jesus mentions that anyone who commits a sin is actually a slave to it. And you're not free if you're enslaved to something. In other words, there is nobody who is actually absolutely free. It doesn't exist. Tim Keller points out something amazing in his uh, book, uh, The Reason for God. And he mentions that true freedom is not the absence of restraint. Does that make sense? It's not to remove the curfew. That's not where true freedom lies. Listen to a story that he shares. Well, actually, I changed it up a bit. I don't know if y'all seen this video yet, but there's a video on YouTube of a spear fisherman. He's swimming down below the water and he's he shot a fish about that big. It's pretty awesome. That's how he was fishing. He was reeling it back in. He was pulling a spear out of it. And as he was holding on to that freshly caught fish, there was like this six and a half foot grouper that came swimming by and swallowed both the hand, his, that fish and his hand. And he's underwater wrestling to get his arm out of this grouper's mass. It's massive. And he ends up pulling away and of course the fish swims off. Now, Think about this for a second. That man lost the battle to that fish. Why? Because he was in the water. And he's not made to move like he is on land in the water. Likewise, if that same battle would have happened on land, the fish wouldn't have stood a chance. You see, if you pull a fish out of water, you've removed a restraint haven't you? He's now free to do whatever he wants on the land. He can go wherever he wants. But that seems ridiculous. Because you and I well know that a fish out of water is going to last for a couple of minutes and then he's going to die. What Keller is saying, and I know this is what Jesus is saying, that true freedom is not the absence of restraint. Hear me. True freedom is to begin to fall in line with the real nature of a thing. Fish were meant for water. So long as a fish is in water, it's as free as it can possibly be. Does that make sense? A fish is dead out of water if you remove that restraint. How do I tie that back to what Jesus is saying? Jesus wants to say and show you that true freedom from a biblical perspective isn't life without restraint. That is why Jesus says that the truth will set you free. And what is the truth? Turn your eyes there right now. This is verse 31. If you abide in my word, there is your restraint. There it is. There's true freedom. There's what it means for you to live. And what that means is, is that true And real freedom, true and real freedom, is by when you as a human being are actually following in the footsteps and the teachings of 
Jesus said positively, hear me say it this way, you are never more free. You are never more liberated like that girl that was liberated from slavery. You are never more human than when you are following Jesus and His Word. That man and that woman is a truly free person. Period. Why? Because they're living within the confines of their nature. They were made for God. They were made for Him. So I ask you, very simply, where do you see yourself living the, quote, enslaved life? Don't you want real? Don't you want true freedom? Imagine the incredible freedom that comes from not having to constantly worry about what job you'll get after college. That's freedom. There is freedom on offer to you that says, it doesn't matter. God's going to take care of me no matter what. That is an incredible liberation. Secondly, do you know that there's incredible freedom on offer to you in the Gospel when you don't have sex with her? Not because having sex with her is, incred- or is inherently wicked. It's not. God has made sex. But you're free from the years of guilt of having damaged and enslaved somebody else. From having to tell your spouse one of these days about how many girls or guys you have hooked up with. I'm telling you from personal experience to the contrary that that is actually a very liberating thing. It is quite a wonderful thing. Don't you see that there's real freedom there? Remember, you are never, ever, ever more free than when you are like Jesus. Ever. In the third Lord of the Rings trilogy, Aragorn, the soon-to-be king, confronts the young maiden Eowyn on her desire to ride to battle. She is willing. She is able. She is valiant and strong. And because she cannot go, He says to her, what are you afraid of? And she says, a cage. A cage. I'm afraid of being enslaved, of being captured and in prison. And do you know what that cage is called in biblical terms? Hear me. It is called a life of trying to find independence from Jesus. That is the cage. How in the world will you be able to follow Him more fully and more freely? Hear us out. You have got to see that Jesus was actually caged for you. What do I mean? Do you know the Bible speaks and it says that before you were called by Jesus, that you were actually dead in your trespasses and sins. And that your captor was actually death and sin themselves. But if you know the story, you know that somebody else has served your sentence. 
Somebody else entered the cage and freed you and remained therein. He went to death. Jesus Himself gave up total freedom. He gave up ultimate, ultimate liberation to take on ultimate captivity. And on the third day, He blasted out the back of that cage, rising again to give you and to give me new life. One poet put it this way, upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Are you doing this? Are you doing this, dear friend? You won't know freedom until you do. And if you have, you're free. You're free. You're free to follow Him. Will you pray with me? Our Lord, could this be true? That You became sin. That You became sin for sinners who took on the ultimate cage such that we might be liberated. You are the grand rescuer. Hallelujah. That You would do this for sinners like us. Soften us, we pray, that we might love and follow You more wholly, more robustly. We ask this for Your name's sake. Amen.